0: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Brawn Body Health and Fitness Podcast. Joining me today for a third time on the show is Dr. Sierra Baines. Sierra is currently working in the field of functional medicine, and she has her own practice set up kind of thing. So today we're going to talk a little bit about the difference between functional medicine and traditional medicine, in addition to a lot of the different things that Sierra is addressing with her clients. This is an amazing episode, and as you'll be able to tell, I have a lot of respect and admiration for Sierra and the work that she's doing. I highly recommend you check her out, and I know you're going to love this episode today. Be sure to share it with a friend too, who you think would benefit from hearing some of the stuff we talk about. Enjoy. Sierra, welcome back to the podcast. I think this is the third time we've had you and, you know, they say third time's the charm. So I'm sure this is going to be the best one we've ever done today.
1: No pressure. (laughs) Thanks for having me back.
0: For people who, you know, maybe they missed our past episodes together, maybe they just aren't familiar with you and what you're doing in the health and just wellness world in general, would you mind kind of filling them in a little bit about who you are and what you're doing?
1: I would love to. So in the past, we've chatted before, I was speaking from a physical therapy lens with a little bit of functional medicine, and I've fully transitioned into functional medicine doctor. Um, where I'm treating hormones, digestion, and autoimmune diseases. Those are my specialties. Um, I come from that Western medical background, but through some experiences as both a patient and a provider, I was able to discover functional medicine. And in my free time, I'm a bodybuilder. I'm a nature lover. I love the sunshine. (laughs) That's my thing. Um, And I really just try to help people who feel like they've tried everything and it's not working like they've tried all the supplements the diets the exercise you know they go to a doctor and it sounds like their symptoms are normal but you know, their lab results are normal but they still don't feel well and my intention is to help them find the answers to help them live vital lives
0: do you mean to tell me that like abnormal health related things like that that's not something we should just accept and go about just saying there's nothing we can do with like you know say i woke up today and I was fatigued and tired and I've been tired every morning. I wake up and, you know, I just not sleeping well. You you mean to tell me that we can actually do things about that and not just kind of accept that as being an American, for lack of a better way to put it?
1: (laughs) I love that you said that. I truly believe we have normalized feeling shitty. We have normalized bloating, for instance. If you talk to the majority of females, you say, are you experiencing some bloating? Like, yeah, it doesn't everybody or we have normalized irregular cycles, or we have normalized hair loss, low testosterone, lack of energy. We've normalized needing caffeine throughout the day, that afternoon slump, not being able to sleep well, so we self-medicate with alcohol. And I think we've deviated so far from what is ideal function that we don't even know what it feels like to feel normal, let alone ideal
0: feel like that whole concept of ideal, um, I, I feel like that's a really trendy thing right now in the health space as well, right? Like everyone's looking for the most ideal thing to do or the most optimal thing to do. Um, and I feel like it's probably going to be challenging to speak to that on an individual level today when in reality, people should probably get some kind of assessment from someone who's qualified to do that, such as yourself. Um, and kind of see where they're at on baseline. Because although I know you're going to share a ton of great content and info and insight today, um, I think the individualization of health strategies are what really makes people shine, for lack of a better way to put it.
1: Absolutely. I'd say for somebody who's symptomatic, it's really important to have an individual assessment of proper labs, proper uh, intake, clinical correlation with somebody who's well-trained, as with any field in the holistic space, there are some better-trained individuals as far and some less experienced and trained individuals. And nobody's <clears throat> fault. It's just ensuring that if you have a truly debilitating condition or symptoms that are bothering you daily, it's going to take some individualized work and investment to actually get to the bottom of it. Now, I do think a lot of the things that we can do. To improve our health are lifestyle factors that everybody would benefit from, such as getting sunlight or enough sleep or certain dietary patterns. And we can talk about that at the end, but um, there are both general recommendations and specific ones for symptoms.
0: Yeah, definitely. So if you could just kind of walk me through, you know, what the whole functional medicine approach and what that looks like from your end, because I'm sure most people are familiar with going into a doctor's office before and getting what we call kind of the traditional care, uh, but what's different about what you do?
1: So, I like to start with the contrast between Western medicine and, and functional medicine, if you don't mind. Just as the, somebody who's been a part of both, on both the patient and provider side, um, when I got into functional medicine, it was because I was leaving Western care um, as a patient. And so in 2021, I was working as a grad student. I was a high achiever. I was super busy and super proud of it. And you know, that grind, that 4am to like 11pm grind. And at the time just was something I could handle. I was pretty physically fit. I ate well. And we had talked about this uh, last August, August, 2022. I had a reaction to a vaccine and it set me up for a neurological diagnosis I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and an additional autoimmune disease, Hashimoto's, which is hypothyroidism, it's a hormone disorder. And throughout that time in 2021, I was within the normal medical system looking for answers, trying to figure out why I was experiencing symptoms and nobody could give me an answer. And everybody just wanted to give me medication. Yeah, again, I was pretty healthy in my 20s, you know, like young, younger 20s bodybuilder. And I just knew that I shouldn't have felt the way I did. And eventually I discovered functional medicine providers. I worked with two of them. I still wasn't super satisfied with my care. So I went to school myself for functional medicine and I live now symptom-free of both of those. I no longer have a multiple sclerosis diagnosis and I manage the Hashimoto's on my own. So the one thing I'd say that... Is the difference, the major difference between functional medicine and conventional medicine is that conventional medicine treats the symptoms. So I, when I went to those doctor's offices in those couple, couple months that I was really, really sick, I was having neurological symptoms. They wanted to give me nerve nerve pain medication. Whereas I went to go see a functional provider and we wanted to see where we could take stress off the body so that my nervous system would calm down and not have those symptoms. And so. Really, the biggest thing is taking a look at the entire system and the way that I treat is looking at all organs, all, you know, nervous system, hormonal system, digestion, and see where there are malfunctions that are taking energy away from the body. And oftentimes when somebody comes to me and they're having like a bloating issue or their hair's falling out or they feel they're not getting their cycle regularly, they've usually missed a lot of the warning signs along the way. And those are those things that we deem as normal. I, we start to not sleep well. We start to get sweaty at night. We have cold feet, cold hands. We have weight gain. And we don't know why you're crashing in the afternoon. You start to crave sweets, brain fog, anxiety. There's so many of these other warning signs that I had all of those that I just mentioned. Leading up to the straw that broke the camel's back in that vaccine. And so while well, that was the thing that caused the dominoes to fall finally, in 2021, I had years of dysfunction leading up to it. And so in functional medicine, we work to take off all those layers of stress in the body.
0: Yeah, that's in- un- that's interesting, because a lot of those symptoms that you just mentioned, as we were saying there, um, they, they are very normalized, like you said, they are the kind of things that people have just kind of come to accept as normal. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we look at something like, Uh, just the fatigue, or even you mentioned the term anxiety. Um, That's something that I'm hearing almost everyone has anymore. Um, And for some reason, we just haven't really looked deeper at that. We just kind of say, oh, yeah, you know, it's, it's because of this, or it's because of that. And we don't actually look into it more, and we don't actually address it. And from what I'm taking away here, you're kind of suggesting that there's a hormonal role in all of these different things. So your endocrine system or your hormones, uh, which regulate everything from your body temperature to, um, you know, your reproductive health and reproductive functioning to your overall growth and ability to gain muscle uh, is kind of like interconnected with all of these different things.
1: Absolutely. I would say that all the aforementioned symptoms I talk about are from a hormone imbalance from stress. And I don't want to trigger anyone when I say the word stress, but stress, the way that I define it is any influence internal or external that is going to cause or lead to malfunction. So gut bugs, parasites, um, caffeine or substance abuse, over-exercising, insulin resistance, chronic emotional stressors, work stress, all of those tax the body. And I like to use the analogy, I love my car analogies, of calling in a 911. So long-term stressors is like we're calling 911. If we, you and I are on a road, we're regular cars, okay? We're just driving down. 911 is called, okay? They, when fire trucks are coming down the road, what do we have to do? We're regular cars. Fire trucks are coming behind us. What do we do? We've got to move to the side. We've got to move to the side so the fire trucks can go and respond to the stressor. Well, those fire trucks are cortisol, okay? They're responding to the emergency that our body's perceiving. If that emergency is constantly ongoing, then we're off to the side. We can't go anywhere. We're the regular cars. Well, the regular cars are your digestion, your energy systems, your ability to have a libido, They're not important. What's important is keeping you alive and the emergency vehicles take over. And that's what happens to people is cortisol takes over. 911 is constantly being called, responding to stressors. So then, yeah, your hair starts to fall up. Your cycle isn't regular. You have bloating. You have constipation. You are fatigued. Those things don't matter, but you still wake up every day. And so I think when we talk about cortisol, it's a very popular term, stress is popular term but i think we've demonized cortisol a little bit we have it for a reason and it's our main stress hormone right it it allows us to interact with our external environment it's going to break down the body for energy it's going to raise blood sugar and oftentimes it can be a positive thing it's anti-inflammatory it's a natural painkiller helps us think clearly act quickly you hear those like super moms that lift cars up off their kids in these dire extreme you know instances where they need to and that's cortisol and adrenaline working But there is, you know, such thing as too much of a good thing. And that's where we find people in these exhausted phases.
0: Essentially, in small amounts, cortisol is a beneficial thing and we need it to function. But what ends up happening is we have too much of a good thing. And that starts to overload and tax other systems. Um, And cortisol being a primarily catabolic hormone in nature um, that breaks things down, I'd imagine it's very difficult to build things back up and recover if we're in a state of constant uh, catabolism. Jeez, I can't talk all of a sudden. Um, If we're constantly breaking things down and catabolic in nature, then we never really have a time to be anabolic. And from what I understand about the body, you can either be catabolic or anabolic. You can't really break down while rebuild at the same time. You kind of flip the switch one way or the other uh so with that in mind if we're constantly breaking down then we never actually recover and i just kind of mentally picture so many different people from you know your average 9 to 5 uh individual to your younger athlete to you know just your general college student um who uh, all of these different populations i'm just picturing them living in a state of heightened stress and heightened sensitivity just due to the nature of the world they live in right now uh, and unfortunately I'd imagine that the majority of Americans live in a state of heightened cortisol.
1: Absolutely so definitely a catabolic state and I like to make the distinction of elevated cortisol versus cortisol depletion and dysfunction. Um, I think when we think high stress we think high cortisol and that's not always the case. Um, one of the reasons that people will test normally in within quote unquote normal ranges for cortisol is because of the numbers that we've put in the system. And so the way cortisol works is again, like to think of a car, if you're driving on a freeway, you're supposed to go 60, maybe 65, you're a little more reckless on the freeway, right? You're, and you're able to speed up and slow down. Normally, if you're functioning at homeostasis or an adaptation phase, a stressor comes, someone cuts you off, right? You can respond. That's where we'd like to be ideally in a cortisol range. Well, If stress is put on the body or somebody's riding your tail in this car and you got to go a little faster, right? Now we're going at cruising at 75, 80, maybe, maybe 85, 90. It's not going to kill us, but it isn't ideal. It's still kind of dangerous, right? Our tires are going to wear out faster. Car is going to break down a little bit faster. We're going to run out of fuel faster. And so we're living in this heightened, that's heightened cortisol, 85 miles an hour, right? We can do it, but not for very long. We start to run out of gas and we actually slip back down to that 60, maybe 65 mile an hour range. But it's not because we want to be there and the brakes start to squeak and we aren't able to go faster, even if we wanted to. Well, ultimately, if that is continued, now we're really out of gas and we can only go at like 45, 40 miles an hour. We're on the freeway. Everyone's passing us. And that's where we find most people in this exhausted phase. They've used up all the fuel in their tank and they're going as fast as they possibly can. But because of that, some of the systems, you know, the gears, the brakes aren't able to work digestion, sexual function, energy, because we just don't have enough energy to give to those systems.
0: And when those don't work, I'd imagine that only exacerbates the problem even more um, you know, even more of a downward spiral there. Like, I'm just picturing like, you know, it, you've thrown the sexual function in there a few times. Like, I'm just picturing a great Friday night or Saturday night for two people. And then they can't get to that part of their evening. And it's right. like, you know, that you, you might've went through your whole evening expecting that. And then you get there and you, you can't, like, you, you can't do what you need to do for lack of a better way to put it. I imagine that's frustrating, that's stressful. And that just further exacerbates the problem that you already have. And it almost creates this like downward spiral type effect. And I'd imagine it's very difficult for people to stop and get off that train. And I don't really see a whole lot being promoted to help people with this, because like we mentioned, there's a huge absence of just acknowledging this as an issue in the first place.
1: Exactly. i And like that you uh, caught on to that because most people, when they come to me are coming to me for the embarrassing symptoms, whoopie sex. Okay. They can't go to the bathroom when they want to, or they go too often. They're not able to function in the bedroom the way they want to. Um, They've lost a lot of energy and they don't want to hang out with their friends or their partners. And at that point is when these quote unquote normalized symptoms become too much for somebody when they start to really affect them personally. And so, Typically, like I mentioned before, there's all these warning signs that lead up to it and we ignore those warning signs. Um, But digestive issues, libido issues, fatigue issues typically are just symptoms of the root cause problem and uncovering what that root cause requires, you know, certain labs to identify malfunctions and then healing opportunities within the hormonal system, immune system, digestion, detoxification and nervous system.
0: Yeah, so how do you go about getting to that root cause piece? I mean, I know you mentioned lab tests, but what other things are you assessing as far as someone's day-to-day goes? Um, You know, how deep do you get into that?
1: Great question. So the way that I personally operate as a functional medicine provider is I look at all systems that are indicated based on someone's symptomology. So I'm running at a minimum three to five labs right away. I like to run all of them at one time to examine hormones, digestion, gut lining, food sensitivities, um, liver function, any of those things that are indicated based on what somebody comes to me for. And we run those initial labs so that I can get a full picture of what's going on in the organs and at the cellular level. Now from there, once I'm able to compile all the lab data and pull some of the pieces together and see where dysfunction is coming from, because you can't just look at one test. This is a common mistake in the field. We do one test, a lot of people have heard of a GI map, it's a stool test, it's for digestion, and they just wanna do that test and see what's in the system. It's like, well, you can look and see what the parasites that are in there and you can definitely treat them, but you're not gonna treat why they got in there in the first place, okay? Because something else is hurting the system to make your gut weak. We aren't supposed to have parasites. And so what's making the gut weak? And that requires other testing. So once you have all the tests together and you can put together a good picture, Um, I focus on five pillars. I have nutrition being the most important, in my opinion. It has diet has such a cumulative effect, um, not only with what kind of foods are optimal for reducing inflammation, making sure we take food sensitivities into account, uh, but also how we're eating. Are we eating at the right times for blood sugar balance? Are we able to eat the right portions of macronutrient ratios for hormone production? What minerals and nutrients are we missing that we can get from food? I'm always food first, supplement second. Then I look at their rest habits. How much sleep are we getting? How can we optimize our sleep? How can we optimize our circadian pattern? That's our sleep-wake cycle, right? Do we need to make sure we limit blue light? How can I keep somebody accountable there? Next is exercise. Some people are over or under exercising and either one can be detrimental to a healing journey. So finding that balance for that person. Then I look at stress management, so not just emotional stressors, that matters too, but also physical stressors, which we are eliminating through parasite protocols, detoxification, and environmental stressors. This one's a big rabbit hole. There are so many things in our environment that are constantly polluting our body, and if our body is having to fight off those things in the environment, well, now we have less energy to put inside of us to heal. And then finally is the supplementation, which is all natural. I don't use prescriptions. However... I look at the lab data, and I see where are we deficient in something? Where do we need to eliminate something? And I prescribe protocols based on that.
0: Interesting. So let's go through these kind of one on one here. You started with the nutrition. And I agree that that is very essential, because you know, there's that old adage, you are what you eat. And while I think that term is a little bit cliche, uh, I don't think people quite understand how true that is, right? Like, your phospholipid bilayer in every cell in your body is going to be composed of the foods that you eat. Like your body is literally building new cells from the food that you put into it. I think we mentioned that this, you know, has been kind of endocrine focused. We started with, with uh, cortisol. You need cholesterol in order to build hormones. So if you're not bringing in enough cholesterol, you can't build new hormones in order to function. Like your body is using food as like a system of Legos, for lack of a better way to put it, to build everything that it needs. Um, So I'd imagine that most people either probably don't bring in enough or probably bring in too much of the wrong things. You know, I've noticed a lot of people have no issues eating a lot of food, but they tend to be unnutrient dense, for lack of a better way to put it.
1: Absolutely. I'd say very commonly with females, we'll see a lack of good cholesterol because they tend to have lower fat diets and you need both cholesterol and B vitamins in order to produce your steroidal and sex hormones. And so if we see deficiency there with cortisol or sex hormones, then we want to look at getting good, healthy fats into the diet. And then, yes, there are definitely some who overindulge in the cholesterol. And there isn't enough nutrients within the diet. There isn't enough food diversity. I see this even with my bodybuilder clients who do a really good job of eating, quote unquote, healthy foods, but there's no diversity in their meal plans. And that's okay to stay on track with their macronutrient expectations. However, we're losing out on fundamental nutrients that are responsible for your energy production for your blood sugar regulation for your thyroid function and when we look at a hair tissue mineral analysis for example we're looking at the fundamental building blocks of those minerals and where you're at in your diet and it's like cool i could be eating healthy but where am i missing out on nutrients
0: right right so almost like uh, i i don't know what the correct term is here but like a micronutrient approach to eating instead of a macro alone because I know everyone seems to focus on your proteins your carbs your fats and the ratios and all that sort of thing um, but they often you know forget about the vitamins and minerals and essential elements that make certain foods quote-unquote good for you uh, and others not good for you
1: exactly I would say uh, a holistic approach maybe <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 uh, I do look at you know Um, sodium calcium calcium magnesium selenium iodine toxic metals all, all sorts of things at the cellular level phosphorus that we need to function um not only at the individual levels themselves but ratios between them to see how the cells are working
0: and i feel like vitamins minerals electrolytes that could probably be a podcast episode in itself um because there's a lot of those like i i can't even remember what each one is and what each one does um so that, that would probably be a deep dive in itself. Um, you also mentioned that sleep is essential. And I like that you bring that up because nutrition and sleep kind of go hand in hand, um, at least from where I sit. you know. Earlier this week, I had a really late night, I ate a really late dinner as a result. Let me tell you what, when you eat right before trying to go to sleep, at least for me, I slept terrible. Um, but if I can eat like three hours, maybe four hours before I go to bed, I just consistently sleep really good. Um, And I'd imagine that the foods that you eat basically become the building blocks for the things that you need in order to sleep well, for lack of a better way to put it.
1: I would say definitely foods that you eat impact. It's also meal timing, right? And so if you are eating right before bed and there's digestion that needs to occur, um, the body wants to be have some hypermotility in there and get the food moving. And if we try to just rest and lay down, it's not going to be optimal for digestion. So that's one thing where you could not have full use of the energy that you put into the body. And also when you are lacking in sleep, oftentimes people's blood sugar will be dysregulated because cortisol has a huge relationship to blood sugar, right? Cortisol breaks the body down for blood sugar. Well, if our meal timing's a little bit off or we skip meals or we eat too late, blood sugar isn't always stable. And so we get cravings.
0: Right, right. And I've noticed a lot of people like to supplement with melatonin to help uh, with, you know, sleeping issues. Uh, and that's one that's readily available at pretty much every pharmacy anymore. Um, Is that something that you see a lot of benefit from when people start putting, you know, synthetic hormone into their body to, you know, replicate what the body can do on its own through the pineal gland? Or is that one that you kind of shy away from?
1: Melatonin specifically, about half the people that intake it have some sort of cognitive side effects, namely nightmares, um, and don't feel well rested when they get up. So about half the people have certain enzymes and they cannot process melatonin as well. I'm one of those people, if I take it, it's, I do not have a great night of sleep. Now, if somebody is truly deficient in melatonin, and we need to work on increasing that production, there are reasons that melatonin production is decreased and that could be due to something in the gut because melatonin is produced in the pineal gland, but also in the gut. So if there's a gut bug, we want to make sure that we have a healthy gut so that melatonin can be produced, but two, optimizing the sleep-wake cycle with light cycles and other education on sleep will help melatonin be produced naturally. So if we're constantly supplementing and it's working for you, Wonderful, but that's still a band-aid and that's not dealing with the root of the issue as to why your melatonin's not being produced.
0: Right, right. And uh essentially, from what I remember, melatonin um is directly related to levels of other neurotransmitter type things like serotonin as well. Um, so I I know we haven't gotten to all your favorite topics like light and all of those sort of things yet. But I'd imagine all of those different things also play into your overall sleep quality and quantity as well.
1: Of course. Yeah. Light will impact the sleep wake cycle, serotonin's relationship with melatonin's primarily because they're both made in the gut. And so it's why when somebody comes to me with a hormone imbalance, I said, well, we got to look at everything. Because if we just look at your hormones, we just try to treat the hormone imbalance. We don't know where it's coming from could be coming from the gut, right? We don't have melatonin. We don't have serotonin. Is there a parasite in there that's preventing that? Is there a leaky gut going on that's preventing that? We heal that. Oh, now our hormones start to balance. Instead of putting someone on TRT, I get a lot of clients who come to me who have been put on hormone replacement therapy or TRT, and they are unable to make their hormones in the same way that birth control kind of takes over the hormonal system. And so it's like, yeah, we're treating the levels, your levels on bloods are going to look better, but we're not treating why it's that way.
0: You know, moving on to like exercise here, you mentioned a great point about how sometimes people don't move enough or don't exercise enough, but there's a lot of people out there who maybe do too much. Um, And maybe, you know, maybe a high school age athlete, for example, Maybe they shouldn't be exercising for five, six hours a day, or maybe their two-a-day practices that accumulate to six hours of total time training every day never give them a chance to recover and rebuild, and as a result, their performance drops uh, from the overtraining stimulus. So I love that you brought up the importance of assessing exercise, and I'd imagine that includes what you're doing, why you're doing it, and the overall volume as well.
1: Exactly. The modality, how we're doing it. What is it for? What do you enjoy? How do you feel afterwards? If exercise is exhausting for you, you go, you know, you're supposed to exercise, you take workout classes and you're exhausted afterwards. That's your body trying to tell you something.
0: So you mean to tell me me that you shouldn't just, you know, go to your local um, group fitness class, high intensity, because people tell you it's good for you. Uh, even though you might hate it, you should try and find some kind of fitness or exercise that actually works for you and feels good and that you enjoy.
1: I can feel the sarcasm dripping I, from I the dentist. <laughs>
0: I, I, it's, it's like mind boggling. It's like, wait a second. You mean to tell me I can love what I do instead of just like going through the motions every single day?
1: I think it's really important to find the things that we enjoy because at the end of the day, there are so many shoulds and influences of how to eat, what to eat, these fad diets. Some work for some people, some don't. You know, we talk about keto, we talk about intermittent fasting. There are pros and cons to both of the things I just mentioned. Uh, same thing with modalities of exercise. Some people um, can do endurance training. Some people could do HIIT training. Some people can weight train. And it's what does your body respond to well? And not using that as a cop-out to be like, oh, I shouldn't do this because it doesn't make me feel good. Well, maybe we should figure out why you don't feel good in general, because if you're not feeling well, the other 23 hours of the day that you're not exercising, well, that's a bigger issue, right? That's not the exercise modality's fault. But then when we get into exercise modality and we're able to scale appropriately into whatever you should be doing, what do you like? There's no one size fits all for anything in health, as you know it. And that's another difference, I think, between the way I practice and the kind of care I received previously was that there was always a one size fits all of a pill or you know, a therapy or modality, and it's like that's not the case. That's why the way that I treat, anyways, I don't even order the same lab panels for everybody because every body and everybody's history is different.
0: Right, right, exactly. Um, and that's where the importance of individualization comes in, like we talked about before. In general, uh, do you notice issues with certain types of exercise modalities more than others? Uh, when it comes to impact on the endocrine system. um, So for example, like if I went and did like a, you know, hour and a half high intensity interval training class, would that be something that you see more issues with than someone who just, you know, casually runs or lifts or that sort of thing?
1: I see the most detriment <clears throat> to anything that's going to use the most energy. So high intensity interval training is one of those. Um, long endurance training is another, um, and any sort of high stimulus activities. I've had fighters, um, sometimes come in and, you know, if they're doing martial arts and the nervous system is constantly taxed, that can be an issue for somebody who is in need of healing. Now, if you're healthy, that's cool, right? It works well. Same thing with the long endurance, um, training training like distance runners, stuff like that. And high intensity interval training even is beneficial one or two times a week. right? But um, if we're overusing that, which I see often, then that can tax the energy system, especially if we are on a hormone journey. A lot of the times people will exercise on an empty stomach in the morning and there are multiple things wrong with the sentence I just said as far as hormone production goes.
0: I'd imagine the same would be true with lifting as well in the sense that you know, you have a lot of people who do these very advanced compound exercises, and those are taxing on the nervous system, right? Like, if I think about a a freestanding barbell squat or a barbell deadlift, I essentially have to stabilize every joint in my foot, my ankle, my knee, my hip, my lumbar spine, my entire pelvic complex. Um, and if I'm deadlifting, throw the shoulders in there as well, throw my grip in there as well, right? Like, Pretty much every joint in your body is doing something and it can be pretty difficult on your nervous system to coordinate all of that. Now, that's not to say don't do those things. Uh, I do them myself, Um, but understand that they're going to tax your nervous system uh, a lot more than something like a machine squat where you get in the machine and go up and down. Um, And I think, you know, to the point that we've been making here. Choosing the right modality of exercise for the right person at the right time can really make or break a difference. Um, you know, I know we had John Fabrizius on the podcast um, recently a few weeks ago, and he talked about even going as far to determine someone's neurotransmitter type and select your exercise modalities based on their neurotransmitter type, which really fascinated me because I've never thought about exercise like that before. I've always thought about it in terms of you know overload and progression and not necessarily what the nervous system is doing in response to the stimulus you provide
1: exactly it's not a (laughs) one-size-fits-all and every person needs to assess that on their own and really feel into how their body responds immediately and an hour or two after exercise just like you would with food how are we feeling when we intake it as well as two hours after when the body's had time to process
0: right right and ultimately as you mentioned all of these things can be very positive things and have a positive impact or they can be very detrimental and just create a negative stress around the body um i thought it was interesting when you were mentioning that you assess stressors that you threw the term environmental in there you must have known um that you know up here in the northeast part of the country we've got this weird smoke issue going on um apparently because of some fires in Canada right now. Um, and it just, it, it's interesting how all of a sudden you're seeing this huge buzz towards like air quality and particle matter and all that sort of thing. Um, I'm imagining this is being kind of like the wake up call for people to start looking at that stuff more regularly. Like, you know, look at the allergen levels and look at the air quality and possibly even get a air filter for the home. Um, how much do you look into the environmental stressors and what kind of things do you see there? What kind of trends do you see in the environment and the effect that that would have on someone's body?
1: So discussion around environmental stressors can go very deep, right? We can't <laughs> talk about air purifiers. We can talk about the things in our beauty products, our personal care products, some plastics. Um, and there is a lot that we can do to reduce stress off the body by making some of those swaps. However, if the basics are not covered, just like in a fitness journey, if our diet isn't optimal, we're not exercising properly, if we're not resting, that's the meat and potatoes of healing, right? The environmental stressors is just going to be a little bit more that we can do to give the body back energy to heal. And so, yes, absolutely. If you can limit your BPAs and your plastics, sweet. If you can limit the you know, toxins in your water. Water is actually a really big one because we are in water, hopefully all day. Um, awesome. That's going to help the body thrive. But you have to make sure the diet, exercise, rest habits, stress management is all controlled first.
0: So I can't just switch to the BPA water bottle and expect my testosterone to skyrocket.
1: And I'd be out of a job if that was the case. <laughs>
0: It's funny, though, because I feel like those kind of like quick swaps are the things that are marketed very heavily, right? Like, you know, it's BPA free, so it'll be better for you or something like that. And I mean, you can call me guilty of that marketing myself because I switched to all stainless steel water bottles and shaker bottles and all that sort of thing um, because I felt like it would help. And in reality, it probably only makes less than 1% of the difference.
1: Yeah, but Dan, you live a really healthy lifestyle, so it actually may make a difference for you that you can sense. Um, I would say that the average person has other work to do, foundational work to do, before they start to replace those products. Now, will replacing those products hurt somebody? Absolutely not. It will definitely help, but I don't think that that is the solution to somebody's hormone dysregulation. We hear a lot about xenoestrogens. Those are estrogens that are chemically made, man-made, and they're in our environment. And a lot of them can convert testosterone into estrogen. And so we see these issues with low testosterone, higher estrogen and estrogen dominance. And this occurs, you know, sometimes it's in our water, sometimes it's coming through plastics and other chemicals sprays fragrance. And we do want to limit those things because they are taxing the body and they are taking energy away. And it just is not the only thing we should look at. And you're right. marketing does a good job of playing to the human emotions of, fear and scarcity that if you don't do this well your hormone axis is forever fucked (laughs) (laughs) and that's just not true
0: yeah yeah no exactly and um i like how you kind of mentioned as we've been talking here it's almost like a pyramid and if you don't have the base of nutrition the sleep the activity then all the other fancy things probably won't matter as much um You know, like you mentioned supplements as well. I've seen some people that spend hundreds of dollars a month on supplements and get almost no benefit. And I've seen other people who spend $10 a month on supplements and they get all kinds of benefit. But the difference is not just how much they spend, but also what they do with the other 99% of things.
1: I love that you brought up supplements because it is one thing that I will almost never blanket recommend to anybody, any supplement. I don't care if it's a vitamin or mineral, there's almost zero that I will blanket recommend to everybody. One that I probably recommend everybody's like fish oil, but (laughs) for hormone production, but the rest of them, we need to look at the system and see where are we deficient, right? A lot of people will supplement with probiotics. And if you have overgrowth in your digestive system, probiotics will not work for you. Well, how do you know? You have to test for that. Right, so we start with diet. We start with exercise, start with rest. That's awesome. Start there. Get your baseline good. Then look at testing. See where there's deficiencies. See where we might need to eliminate some pathogens. That's where supplementation is really helpful. We have amazing herbals and supplements available to us. We live in a beautiful time where these things are just in bottles and we can get them in two days. And it's fantastic when they're used correctly. There are some very irresponsible recommendations made and very... um very well promoted products that are blends of certain herbals that can actually be contraindicated for somebody, depending on what's going on in their internals and or medications they're taking. There is a lot of supplements on the market. Again, same thing. There's actually a probiotic that is popular in the bodybuilding space that has roots within it well if you have high blood pressure tendencies towards high blood pressure licorice is only going to exacerbate that
0: yeah yeah that's interesting i didn't realize that and i mean the probiotic world um has really blown up for supplementation lately and that's one that i feel like there's a huge lack of understanding on you know people just say oh i take probiotics so it's good for my gut and it's like but what strain of probiotics are you getting are you getting lactose bacillus bulgaris, or are you getting a ruteri based probiotic? Like, what strain are you actually getting? And is that exactly what you need or not? Um, you know, I also think it's funny how we've popularized supplements like a multivitamin or a multi strain probiotic that have 50 billion CFUs of every strain under the sun. And it's like, do you think your body is going to be able to absorb? all of your daily vitamins, synthetic lab made at that, in one go? Do you think your body is going to be able to actually absorb and benefit from 50 billion CFUs of probiotic all at once? Or even better yet, do you think that 50 billion CFUs of probiotic, which sounds like a lot, is really going to have a huge sweeping change on your gut after one or two doses? Um, Because that's not even scratching the surface of the amount of bacteria that live in that thing. And oh, by the way, just because you put good bacteria in there, doesn't mean that you're feeding them properly, right? These things have to eat, they have to feed. Um, So if you're not bringing in the right, I believe the term is prebiotics, um, then you're not going to grow the right strands of probiotics. And I realize as we're talking about this, like feeding and growing and that sort of thing, it almost makes our gut sound like it's like a farmer for lack of a better way to put it.
1: I like to call our bodies um, dirt and bugs. We're made <laughs> of because the bugs are the microbiome. That's where the gut the gut bugs are. There's good ones and bad ones, but we need them. And there's uh, the dirt, which is the, the minerals I was talking about, the building blocks of the cells. We need both of those. And one comment i'll make on your reflection on probiotics probiotics is that the absorption is it doesn't really matter what you are putting into your body if we are unable to absorb if we are unable to have nutrients filter into the system properly do we have leaky gut going on it doesn't matter how much money you spend on the right supplements or grass-fed beef it doesn't matter if you can't absorb it it's going nowhere and it's just inflaming your system so again that's another thing that is overlooked when we're looking at root causes, like, does this person have a tight mucosal barrier where they can absorb nutrients? Oftentimes people do not.
0: And that's even something that's marketed on as well. I remember years ago seeing a clip of a popular probiotic uh, company. Um, They're basically marketing it as a cure for candida. Um, and they are saying how hundreds of millions of Americans are impacted by candida overgrowth and yada, yada, yada. And in order to combat it, you need to work on your gut health. And here's a probiotic to do just that. Um, And I mean, it's crafty marketing. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they're not wrong about the candida problem, but do, do we really expect that a miracle supplement is going to fix that? Probably not.
1: I wouldn't say so.
0: Um, And I realized that a lot of the things that we've brought up today from candida to birth control, to, vitamins and minerals probably deserve all of their own podcasts because there's just so much freaking stuff to unpack there. Um, But from what I understand, you now offer a masterclass that goes through all of those things. Is that correct?
1: I do. The masterclass focuses on the hormone system and it will talk about sex hormones, cortisol, cortisol dysregulation, as well as things to do to fix it. That you don't need a functional doctor for. And so that is on my Instagram. If you go up to the link, you just uh, submit your email, your name, and it will be delivered to you immediately. You can go ahead and watch that masterclass. And if you want to, you can always ask me questions. Um, apply to the email or send me a DM.
0: You see, one of my favorite things about you, and one of the things I like about you the most, Sierra, is... Even though you are a functional medicine doctor, you're literally giving away a free resource to try and prevent people from having to come and see you in the first place. Most people don't give away free stuff to prevent people from coming to them for business, but you do. And that's one of the things that I love, admire, and respect about you so much is that you really have a passion for helping people. And you have that passion so much so that you're willing to just give away resources to help people.
1: Thank you for saying that I appreciate the recognition of operating out of integrity and truly if I'm doing my job, right. My purpose is to educate on the options and the ability to be your own healer. The information is out there. It's just kind of scattered and I want to put it all in one place. And if somebody has a true dysfunction that's been going on for years and years and we need to treat it, we definitely need to treat it but I, I do believe a lot of people fall under these um you know marketing ploys and feel they they're attacked at a in a place of guilt and shame and scarcity and fear fear-based marketing i don't believe in that at all i, I very much want people to feel empowered to take care of themselves and their own health so thank you so much for that recognition and i mean you do the same thing on your page
0: oh and to take it a step further. If you can teach people how to manage their own health, then yeah, there's probably a little bit of time commitment on their part for three to six months, but then it probably becomes part of their day. It becomes autopilot, becomes the normal. Um, And then instead of making people like a chronic patient, for lack of a better way to put it, I say that term a lot, um, that phrase a lot, um, you know, you essentially give people the tools that they need to do their own medical management or health management, um, instead of having to go to you for anything and everything?
1: You hit the nail on the head. My intention is not to keep a client forever if I I didn't do my job. My intention is to educate them in the time that we need. Most clients stick with me about a year. Um, I have them, you know, some six months at first. It's been going on years and years, decades, decades of dysfunction. But ultimately, you should be able to learn to stack those habits. You'll understand exactly how to eat to feel your body, feel your cells, and the deficiencies that we found. We're going to eliminate pathogens. We're going to learn rest habits that are going to last you a lifetime, stress management, supplementation when needed. And ultimately, you shouldn't need those supplements forever. You shouldn't need me forever. You feel empowered to be like, cool, I feel awesome. How can I feel optimal? And you right. either keep moving forward or you, and you take those habits with you.
0: Exactly. And I know. In addition to the masterclass, you're always sharing so many great resources and so much great insight on your social media channels there. Uh, So where can people find you at on social media or, you know, the web or that sort of thing?
1: My main platform is going to be Instagram and it's at Sierra Trains from my bodybuilding career. It's S-I-E-R-R-A-T-R-A-I-N-S. That is where I am posting content weekly as well as daily. I post tips on hormone health, digestion, um, autoimmune management. And application work with me is there. Free masterclass is there. My website link is also attached there. So SierraBanes.com and various podcasts are linked like yours.
0: <laughs> so so you're, you're not on the TikTok yet?
1: I'm not on TikTok. I haven't found a desire to be (laughs) on tiktok so i would say instagram is my main portal right now
0: oh my well we will link to instagram and all of those things uh in the description below in case you didn't quite catch them i have a feeling if you did have a tiktok page it might be more edm rave dance focused than um holistic health but i could be wrong um Sierra, it's always a pleasure chatting with you. And it's always great sharing your wealth of knowledge with people. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Broad Body Health and Fitness Podcast. If you liked this episode, please make sure to share it with a friend, subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, and leave a review. This way we can spread knowledge and motivation and help reach more people. Thank you again for listening and I'll see you next time.